you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times. Because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. I'm Osis Foss here from the ChrisVossShow.com. The ChrisVossShow.com. There you go, my family and friends. You got to love it. Uh, welcome to the big show. We certainly appreciate you guys coming by. So, folks, we're joined today by Nick Espinoza. Uh, he is a chief security fanatic, uh, speaker, columnist, author, radio host, board member, Forbes Tech Council, and TEDx speaker. Uh, we're going to be talking to him about cybersecurity today and all the stuff that goes into it. For over 25 years, Nick has been on a first-name basis with computers since the age of seven. He's been building computers and programming for multiple languages, landing his first IT job at age 15. He founded Windy City Networks, Inc. at 19, which was acquired in 2013. In 2015, Nick created Security Fanatics, a cybersecurity warfare a cyber warfare outfit dedicated to designing custom cyber defense strategies for medium to enterprise corporation. As a expert in cybersecurity and network infrastructure, Nick has consulted with clients ranging from small business owners up to Fortune 100 level companies for decades. He has designed, built, and implemented multinational networks, encryption systems, and multi-tiered infrastructure, as well as small business environments. He is passionate about emerging technology and enjoys creating, breaking, and fixing test environments. Welcome to the show, Nick. Uh, tell us what you do from a 30,000-foot Overview. At the end of the day, whatever the title is, I am I'm just trying to move the ball forward on technology and the security thereof. You know, mm -hmm. nobody's going Amish. You know, we are all embracing technology, loving technology, using technology. And the goal is, is that everybody from the personal individual up to governments and Fortune 100 need good security. And, and so that is my goal, essentially, is to evangelize for that. And, we, you know, we have a lot of problems in the cybersecurity community just speaking to regular humans, <laughs> you know. And, and so by virtue of that, my goal is to do nerd to English translation and just get everybody on the same technological page. That, that is go. a 30,000 foot view of, of my goals for life. There you go. Tell us about your book, Easy Prey. What's the side of what will people find? Sure. Interestingly enough, I still no longer recommend it. <laughs> and and the reason why I don't recommend it anymore, I, and I kid you not, and, and for the record, all the proceeds went to St. Jude's. So it's not like it's a paycheck for me. You know, we, we, we got to help out a great charity there and a great hospital. But essentially, the, the goal of that was to explain the various facets of cybersecurity. And so there were, you know, co-authors of the book. I was obviously one of those and ended up being an Amazon bestseller, which was great. I was thrilled to see that. But I essentially, was assigned the sexiest part of the book, which is government compliance frameworks for cybersecurity. So if you're running a business and you need things like HIPAA compliance and you know, you're know you taking credit cards and all of that, that's essentially what I was talking about, how to approach it, how to start understanding it and getting down that road. You know, it's important, but there there is a lot of good information in that book. But the thing is, is that cybersecurity, unlike regular technology, pivots on a dime. Like we never know when that 15 year old kid is gonna break all of Google and then we have to slam on the brakes and figure out what on earth just happened. And if you think I'm joking, that's legitimately true. Yeah. In the mid-2000s, a 15-year-old kid going by Cosmo 
broke like Google, Apple, I think like Facebook and like Amazon in like a week. And it completely rewrote how we approached identity management. And by virtue of that, he, he earned the nickname Cosmo the God. And then he was arrested a few, few years later selling stolen credit cards and running a group called UKG Nazis. So you can figure <laughs> that one out. But the point is, is that we pivot so quickly that information changes constantly. And so if what you are doing, if you're reading something from 2016, that may be irrelevant in many aspects of your life now in 2023. So there you go. There you go. Now you've done four TEDx talks yes. and uh, with some interesting data on them. You've talked about the five laws of cybersecurity. Do we want to get into that? Sure. We can get into whatever you want. Let's do it. Yeah, so uh, the five laws of cybersecurity uh, is basically my concept for nerd to English translation for the world. It was originally an article I wrote for Forbes, and uh, essentially the whole understanding of this, and eventually, obviously, I turned it into my second talk, is basically how a human can approach cybersecurity in their everyday life. We're not talking about things like multi-factor authentication or antivirus and all of that. Understand that when you walk into a situation, whether it's you're opening an email or you're walking into a public place to use wireless or whatever that is, that there are certain mechanisms that kick in in your head. But you also have to understand the world around us. You know, we have thousands and thousands of languages spoken around the globe, some small, some large like English or Mandarin Chinese. But mm -hmm. we also have the language of the internet that we now have to combat. And so understanding and, and walking through these things and understanding the mentality of hackers is one of those things that I'm, I'm putting out there to the world. So for example, law number one is if there's a vulnerability, it will be exploited. It's really that simple. We may not know what the vulnerability is yet, but we're gonna do it. Like every car I've ever owned since about 2006 or so, I've hacked into because really? I like to break into things. Like it is something that I really, really enjoy. I have all the gadgets, all the toys, the techniques. I'm always trying to come up with new ways to get into things because I simply enjoy it. It's also a reason why I'm not wearing a smartwatch, <laughs> you know? So, oh. so understand that, that these things are out there and there are people out there that want to figure out every which way to get around things, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, think about this, Chris, do you speed in your car? No, but is who's listening to the show? Uh, <laughs> do you speed? Yeah, I do. Of course, right? You'd be lying if you said otherwise. That's true, but you know, I was just, yes, I was just checking for. I get it. Well, now you've just admitted a crime. I just had to check with my attorney. As of I, as of I, so <laughs> you have a one in six chance of getting pulled over, right? You have a one in six one in chance, six one in six chance in the United States of getting pulled over for speeding, and so you make the calculated decision. Well, it's a thirty-five, and I can go forty-five, and I'm going to get away with it, and I'm going to get to my destination faster. And so we are always hacking the system. We're always finding ways around things, and that's the whole point of the talk is to understand that, understand why you trust and how we trust as human beings and how you have to build a filter of distrust in your technological life. Now we need, mm. trust. obviously we see what happens when trust breaks down in a society. We have two warring political parties right now, and that is a result of a lack of trust and belief between the two something we've, they've always had. It's called mutual toleration. So we see these mutual toleration. We have to understand with technology, we have to approach it as a filter of distrust because Prince Mbutu from Nigeria really doesn't need your help. So there you go. There you go. That Yeah, that's, we're getting enough of those emails. I've actually had yeah. friends that have gotten those emails over the years and they, they buy it hook, line, and sinker. And you can't yeah. talk them out of it. It's like trying to talk somebody out of, I don't know, a cult or something. You're just like, seriously, dude. Like everybody knows this is a scam, but some people don't. And then there's politics. What was that term you used? Mutual? Mutual toleration. Yeah, toleration. Yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah. That's a so, new term for me. So 
un understand the, the the value and systems of of, of a democracy re regard or, or, or rely on a couple of different institutions and, and concepts. One of those is mutual toleration, meaning you have Republicans, you have Democrats. I don't care what you believe. You know, if you follow my content, I'm apolitical, but we talk about these things. And essentially, you have to understand that that in mutual toleration, Republicans and Democrats have to trust each other. That when you have a transition of power, that the other side becomes a loyal opposition. And while they may not necessarily agree on the approach to fixing a problem, they know that in two or four years, they're going to have a shot at the ballot box. They may be able to get take charge and the other side then becomes a loyal opposition. So you have basically a concept publicly where people are like, well, I disagree with the Republican or I disagree with the Democrat, but I respect that they have that choice. And you know what? In two to four years, I'll get to run against whichever one that is, right? Mm -hmm. Now, that is starting to break down because trust is breaking down between the two parties. And now they are no longer friendly rivalries or frenemies. They are, you are the ruin of society and, and you have to be stopped at all costs, no matter what. And that is one of the, the signs, negative signs of, of, of deep sickness or, or deep issues in a society. The other side of that coin is forbearance, meaning there are a lot of unwritten rules that we essentially don't break because we know that it escalates conflict between one or the other. When you start breaking unwritten rules, the other side responds accordingly, and that escalates situations. And as many laws that we have and constitution and all of that, there are unwritten rules on decorum, on process, that, that if you try to circumvent those things, that's obviously an issue. And so by virtue of that, as that escalates, as so does the distrust. It's a big problem. It really is. Definitely. You know, I, that's a new term for me to hear. So you, I just learned something new. This is why we do the show, folks, so teach us new stuff. I, I never really thought about political parties as that mutual tolerance thing because it, you know, it, it contributes to the, the competition to deliver the best ideas. I've always I thought about it from that angle, but it, it's almost a necessity that you have to think of it that way because... Well, Sure. You need the competition. Yeah, sure. I mean, you're going to have one wing of, of any government. And, and for the record, governments function when they function together, whether they disagree mm -hmm. or not, you know, and and so you're going to have one side of, of a government or, or a political wing that says we need to spend to get out of a situation. And you can have another side that says we need to cut and stop spending. And they're not really going to meet in the middle. They try to meet in the middle. They'll pass budgets together, et cetera, et cetera. But the whole point is, is that if I'm that person that wants to spend, I still respect the person that cuts it. I just disagree fundamentally with where they're going. At the end of the day, we agree there's a problem and I'm either going to spend or I'm going to cut to fix the problem in, 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 let's say, an economic issue. And so as you are looking at society-wide, these kinds of issues, essentially it says, okay, well, the people that want to cut the budget are, are going to destroy the country or the people that are going to spend money out of this are going to bankrupt the country, you know? So there has to be an, an understanding and a balance. And when that breaks down and when you have a rhetoric by the voters or, or being basically being delivered to the voters through whether it's disinformation or hyperbolic commentators and all of that on why their one side is evil or the other, it actually is probably one of the worst things that you can do for a society that, that is otherwise functioning. There so, you go. Huge uh, problem. We, we used to function before. There we go. So yeah. let's, let's, what are the biggest threats that you're seeing? You know, this is going to go out on LinkedIn. What are the biggest threats that you're seeing for people's personal security in 2023 and for businesses? Sure. So <clears throat> the number one problem that we always have in cybersecurity, hands down, if we're, if we're talking about those kinds of issues, is the human factor. 
that that a lot of the planet is simply not trained or not mm -hmm. under, doesn't understand. So people say, "Oh, I'm tech savvy. I love this. Great. You can work an iPhone, like you know, like like a Mozart." But but that doesn't mean you're you're secure. You know, it doesn't mean you're making good choices or even understand conceptually the risks that are out there for you. I mean, if you look at the world right now it feels pretty unstable, even though there are many stable things out there in the world. But we see the disinformation campaigns. We've got a war going on in Ukraine, and now Israel and Hamas have fired up as we're sitting here talking about that. And it feels like the world is melting down, pulling in a lot of the geopolitical players around the globe, adversarial or otherwise. And so as we are looking at that from the from the framework of, of human understanding, I think one of the biggest problems we have is simply that humans do not understand necessarily the risks that that are posed to them by by leveraging technology in their everyday life. And like I said earlier, we're not going Amish. And so mm -hmm. that training is a problem. If I'm walking into organizations and talking about, uh, you know, uh, cybersecurity, I don't start with cybersecurity. We get hired by a, a large company that says, OK, Nick, let's talk about cybersecurity. And I say, no, we are not talking about cybersecurity. We're going to talk about risk first, because if you don't know the threats out there, if you can't tell me in hard and soft dollars how many on an easy level, how many computers can be off for how long until it's so economically unviable, torches and pitchforks at the CEO's door, then how do you know what you're doing is right? How do you know your backups are good? How do you know your defenses are right? How do you know your people are trained, you know, to respond to any kind of disaster, whether it's a tornado, you know, here in the Midwest, an earthquake in California, meth gators and hurricanes in Florida, like whatever it is, you've got to prepare for these kinds of things, right? Not to mention a literal war two of them actually going Ooh. on and how does that affect you so these are <clears throat> these are the biggest issues that i think we see I, I like to say i can build you a ferrari's worth of a cyber defense strategy but if i'm turning the keys of the ferrari over to a chimpanzee how far are we going to get we have to learn how to drive that's our biggest issue i really do think that let me ask you this can you give me an idea do we need to start teaching like basic cyber security i mean we don't have to teach people to be experts in it but yes just basically how like don't click on the nigerian prince <laughs> gentleman you referenced earlier. yes you know just simple stuff like that you know checking a link before you click on it and uh, you've been sent et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I've, I've sat on the board for years of a company called Bits and Bytes Cybersecurity Education, and mm -hmm. it was started by a 15-year-old, then 15-year-old, brilliant young woman who is now, I believe, a Stanford graduate or fellow mm -hmm. uh, at this point. And the whole point is, yes, we should start baking in an understanding of not just cybersecurity, but of privacy starting from a very early age. There's no reason why you can't start conceptually talking to, let's say, five-year-olds in kindergarten about things that are private to you and why we have things like passwords. We don't have to get complex about, you know, download this app to do this, but, but understanding the concept that there are going to be things and kids, as they grow, figure this out. I've written about this. I've talked about this as well. One of the most important concepts that a human learns as they grow up is that they have have things inside that they don't have to share with anybody, even mom and dad. And mm. so, so as you are building those barriers and walls, understand that it also has to affect your technological life. We are interconnected in a way humanity has never seen. And we are seeing both the good and the deleterious effects of that. And by virtue of that instant communication, there has to be that filter. We have to train early on. It's the same with like social media. Studies have shown that 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 kids that adopt social media earlier are, are, are way better, are way worse off, not better off, worse off. Uh, by virtue of that, higher rates of depression, higher rates of suicidality, all of these things. Th these things need to be trained and addressed at a very early age, no doubt. Yeah.
There you go. I mean, it's it. You think this is probably more important than I don't know teaching people biology. I mean, biology is important as well, maybe. Sure. But not everyone needs to be cutting open frogs. Everyone needs to understand, yes. you know, cybersecurity, the internet, yeah. and what to click on and what not. Because you know, it, I still get frustrated by the one dumb person on Facebook who will click on something and then you know, with that automator, will start sending you the links through Messenger. And if you're not smart enough or you trust that person, you know, you click the link and then you're doing it, and right. you know, it's just like it just it it far it fishes out. Uh, wh wh how do you see things going on with you know the the thing that happens to companies now? That's a big the ransomware. Mm -hmm. thing is that getting better or worse oh it's getting worse you know maybe not necessarily by the numbers but what we have seen are are different and i hate to say it but innovative ways to extort money out of companies i literally just oh. i so every sunday i do a breaches of the week video and podcast and all of that i also do it on my radio show and it is it it, it gets worse and worse and worse but if you think about it a ransomware event for those that that are listening that may not know is basically some jerk or a group of jerks gets into your, let's say your business network, they lock out all of your files are encrypted, so you can't open them, but they make a copy of that. And so we were seeing initially single extortion, oh, I've locked out your files and companies would go to backup and restore everything. Then they started copying it. Well, I have a copy of your files now that I will dump out and show the world. Right now, Boeing, Yes, Boeing is going through that right now. Serious? Um, yeah, yeah, Boeing, Boeing. I just talked about that yesterday. So that's a huge issue. But now what they're doing is they're sifting through the data. And so a Taiwanese uh, chip manufacturer, one of their largest clients is Apple. The attackers realize they have the schematics, the internal design schematics for like the MacBooks and, and whatnot. Oh. And so they went to Apple and said, hey, we hit your supplier. Now we want money from you because Apple usually has more cash on hand than the US government, right? Yeah. So by virtue of that, mm. we're seeing that. Now, an innovative tactic, and it's the first time I've ever seen it, and uh, many colleagues agree with me that, that, I, that I've read about as I was researching this for yesterday, is one of these groups actually went to the SEC, the Security and Exchange Commission, and filled out the actual like tip line form for the company they just hit basically telling the SEC that the company they hit did not actually notify the SEC as a breach. And what does that show us? That's another innovative what the hell? I know, right? So that is an innovative wow. way because now the attacker is going to be like, well, you know, yeah, even, you know, you still have to pay us because if you're going to keep this quiet, we're going to go to the SEC. You know what? Let's add another million dollars to that ransom to not have us go to the SEC and basically file a complaint on your ass. And so, and so oh, no. it, it was mind boggling to me, but like, but yes, so it is getting more sophisticated. They are, they are doing very good at, at getting around traditional defenses, like traditional antivirus and all that stuff as well. We're way past that at this point so yeah it's a huge problem no <clears throat> note to self change my password for my luggage on one two three four all right add a five, add a five. <clears throat> what is what is what is that a five i said add a five so add a five okay there you go. i'll never figure that out yeah that's maybe a six on the end i don't know there you go there you go no one will ever know wait are we on air this is really interesting what do you think about tiktok i mean some of these you know, some of this stuff about China trying to steal our stuff. We recently had a someone, I believe, from the State Department or an emissary ambassador go over there. And, and the day they were going to meet with them or the day before they were going to meet with them, China just balls out, hacks their email, yeah. uh, which is kind of really interesting because you're like, well, I know the agenda of what you're here to talk about because we read your emails on us. I mean, that's yeah. some 
That's some, that's, that takes some nads. Yeah. Well, I mean, so we know, and, and for the record, TikTok, Timu, all of them are the next evolution of Chinese intelligence operations. And I'll get to that wow. in a second. Oh, they are. They absolutely are. There's zero doubt about that. But if you go back to 13, uh, under the, uh, under the Obama administration, China hacked the white house. They got into the white house infrastructure and were poking around. I mean, I, they were looking I, for the birth certificate. Yeah. That's an old joke. People, they're looking for this birth certificate. That's a joke, people. I'm not a birther. Okay. There you go, right? Don't so, start so, to old people. Knock <laughs> it off. It's a joke. So the, the, chief, the chief cybersecurity coordinator for the White House at the time, Michael Daniel, who I've actually, I've actually interviewed. He's a, he's a really good guy. You know, he was on the forefront of that, and, and that was a huge issue. Now, also, fast forward to 2017, the, the, basically the People's Republic of China, the, the government, which is a communist government, so they claim, although I've been to China, and the amount of wealth I've seen there, I could never claim that the communist government, like, truly in the original state of, of communism. But... It's Go ahead. It's really an authoritarian. It is. It's a hundred percent authoritarian regime under the guise of communism, and there's still mm -hmm. some elements of that. But in 2017, they passed a law that basically said if you are a Chinese company and you have information on foreigners, aka U.S. citizens or Germans or anybody that's not Chinese, by law they get access to it. Yeah. And so when you look at TikTok, TikTok is a multifold problem. So. There have been research outfits, cyber cybersecurity research outfits like Internet 2.0 out of Australia, uh, another independent researcher, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, that basically reverse engineered the TikTok app. And when this thing is connected to your wireless, it is looking at all the devices in your house. When really? it is on your phone, it is trying to evade permissions to look at all of your other apps, collect all the information, emails, contacts, all this kind of stuff. It's oh, wow. absolutely nuts. On top of it, we have the AI algorithms that are pushing content specifically geared to whatever the Chinese government wants, wants essentially the world to see. And the examples we have of this are one, the Chinese version of TikTok in China known as Daoyin, essentially kids can only use it for something like an hour a day. It mm -hmm. immediately pushes content that is science, math, education, all these kinds of things. It's not stupid dance videos and ridiculous challenges and all of that. Mm -hmm. And interestingly enough, outside of it, there are there have been no restrictions only until essentially people started complaining. Essentially, the European Union also discovered that Chinese propaganda was being pushed to European TikTok users, basically trying to rehab China's image on the Uyghur situation. This is yeah. uh, one of the most surveilled and oppressed people on the entire planet, thanks to the Chinese government and all of that, not to mention human rights abuses and, and on and on and on. So TikTok, Timu, all of them are huge issues. And TikTok executives essentially went in front of Congress, lied. U.S. like North American, U.S.-based TikTok really? executives here went in front of Congress and lied because we have whistleblowers that came out with recordings where they're literally talking about having to go talk to like the boss in China to get access to U.S. infrastructure. And they also openly admitted that all of the data that they have in North America, which essentially is being stored on Oracle servers, like Oracle is a big cloud like Amazon, they're mm -hmm. replicating all of that to Singapore outside of U.S. jurisdiction. And mm -hmm. so think about this longitudinally. You've got that 13-year-old kid that is doing horrible, stupid, risque things on TikTok right now. And in 20 years, that guy or gal is now going to run for Congress. Guess who has the horrible videos? You know, this is long-term planning. And it is, it is a huge problem. We are, we are literally shifting people one way or the other. For God's sakes, they almost rehabbed Osama bin Laden 
on TikTok like three days ago, if you were yeah. hearing about that, it's yeah. you know, like th how did that go viral to all their influencers that instantly? Like, like how was that suddenly a thing? You, you are getting pushed subtly algorithm to algorithm and people complain, oh, well, Facebook is data mining you and all of that. Yes, I think Mark Zuckerberg should be in jail. I literally did a video with that title on it, Amen. but we have recourse under US law. Try suing them in Beijing. No way. You yeah. can't do it. So they're a different animal, and and they're on. They're working on behest of a foreign government. Timu's no different. That's a shell. Shell companies everywhere, out of the Cayman Islands, but trade on the New York Stock Exchange, PDD Holdings. It's a whole mess. I've done, I've done reporting on all of this. It's it's insane. You know, I I think it, you look at the what's the new thing they have that people are doing the MPC thing. Like so it's the, the most it's the most dumbest thing I've ever seen. Oh yeah, the yeah. NPCs and they. Yeah. They basically act like I don't know human puppets. Yeah, yeah. Tide Pod challenge. Yeah, picking a front door challenge. I mean, and I, I think too what you mentioned, where they they affected the Osama bin Laden thing from yeah. this from our woke crowd that's gone so far left. Evidently, I'm I'm a moderate Democrat. Our it, my the extreme left woke crowd has gone so far left. They're turning right again. They're going around the corner. I think the other thing they were doing was you know they were supporting Hamas. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. Well, I think like, I think what? part of it is I think part of that is just understanding the framework and context of history. And one of the things that I don't think we we really study is is the understanding of that. People are saying, "Oh, well, this Hamas Israel thing, and Israel's in the wrong, or Hamas is in the right, or vice versa, whatever it is." I'm again, I'm not adjudicating that. That's not my job. But understand that this goes back thousands of years, not just to religion, but to land claims, you know, cultures, all this kind of stuff. And it is a it is a huge issue. So without seeing the full scope of a situation that deep and that complex, it's very easy for keyboard warriors, you know, to basically go Google something and say one thing or the other and making, mm -hmm. let's say, false moral equivalencies, you know, whatever it may be. But it's a lot larger and it's a lot broader than that. And if you are looking at any kind of approach to history, the goal is to get outside of the framework that you are taught. You are taught, okay, let's say it's a Marxist ideology or capitalist ideology. Well, if you're looking at it through like a Marxist ideology, now you are looking at oppressed versus oppressors, economically stable versus, you know, the proletariat, the bourgeoisie versus proletariat. But there are many different ways to frame a situation. And if you're framing it from the from from basically the the, the standard of facts and humanity, it's different than if you're looking at it through economics or religion or anything else. And so there's many different ways to approach this. It's part of the training that I got in college when I was in college. You know, everybody should take a logic course. Everybody should take like basically understanding frameworks of history. I think it's one of the most important things we're going to do. The one know? thing man can learn from his history is that man never learns from his history is what there I you go. quote is my saying. But these, these are important. And sadly, you know, we have a generation that their their education was being sent to Iraq for 12 trillion dollars or whatever so they didn't yeah. get much of an education but yeah can you can do you think in your opinion i mean can tiktok can we put that ever back in the box i mean you know everyone's like shut it down i don't, I don't know how you fucking shut that down well i mean if you if you want an example of that in the last week <clears throat> in nepal the government said that that tiktok was essentially ruining social harmony and they shut it down 
Wow. They just went to their infrastructure providers and said TikTok won't run. You know, they made sure that any geographical, any app store for iPhone or, or Google Play that was geographically within Nepal couldn't get access to it. Like these are things are actively putting into place. So if you're saying, if you're asking, can we remove TikTok? Absolutely. In the same way that apps can be abandoned. I mean, how many people are using Friendster anymore? You know, and so Wait, I am. Yeah. You know, well, that, you, you and six other people, you know, and you're all friends, apparently. I used to also, be huge probably on too, from MySpace. But but the point is, is that, yes, there are things that you can do, but it really does start with education. Like, I mm -hmm. believe in freedom of speech and expression. And, and if you want to use TikTok and you are fully informed of the longitudinal consequences, not just to you and your data, but to what this is doing to society and you still want to use it, then, I mean, why would I stop you at that point, you know? As much as I, as much as I think it's doing, it has a deleterious effect. It, it's, you know, it is what it is in that sense. But I don't use it. I don't have an account on it, and I'm, I have, I'm very public in my presence in cybersecurity, and and TikTok is not one I'll touch. One thing that's interesting about TikTok is they're kind of turning, they're 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 turning into selling stuff and giving Amazon room for their money, which hmm. is kind of interesting. It's it's they're even bugging me about selling yeah. stuff and things. Perfect and, sense from their perspective. Uh, Perfect oh time. yeah, and if they could, yeah. I th I think they can put. I think they can give Amazon some really interesting competition. Now, what that means geopolitically and and all that jazz, that's a different thing. But it, it's the power that they have. I mean, I was just telling you before the show. I just bought some knickknack doodad off of what mm -hmm. I thought was a maker, and it turns out it's from China. <laughs> <laughs> that's it's that yeah. But yeah, it's I, I got something else that was from a maker recently. It was 3D printed that was really cool. But and, and so it was kind of cool. I, I've watched a lot of vendors that are small business people get on there and do stuff, and they're selling stuff like seasonings and stuff they make. Yeah, and, cool. yeah, they're legit. They they also sell on Amazon as well. But they the personality of being able to have an interaction online right. with their brand has helped build them. So it's right. kind of interesting. It I, it just like every day I think it grows more. It's, it gets more roots here in America, and yeah. I don't know, you know, how do you deroot it? There was something else yeah. I want to talk about. What do you what do you see in the future of AI and cybersecurity, and also uh, any thoughts on the Sam Altman Open AI Open AI yeah. this weekend? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No. Well, I mean, you know, until the next five years, we start shooting at Terminators from burned out bunkers. I mean, definitely. we can definitely talk about AI. I'm, I'm digging where that's mine, going. Yeah. No. No. I mean. I think there's a couple of different misconceptions on artificial intelligence. It's it's been more visible in the last year or so thanks to large language models like the chat GPTs, open AIs of the world. But we've we've been under the influence of artificial intelligence for years and years and years. And I think it's important for people to know that. The algorithms on Facebook that prioritize angry screeds and posts that help drive division, you know, in countries around the globe, you know, help foster a genocide in Myanmar, you know, those kinds of things. That that's been around forever. We have artificial intelligence behind the scenes making choices for us that we don't even realize. We go to apply for a credit card. We go to apply for auto insurance or anything like that. It's the AI that's making the judgment based on all available information, if we are credit worthy or not, if our car should be 200 bucks a month versus 100 bucks a month, depending on where we live, our driving records, all that kind of stuff. So the AIs are already there. We've, we've been building social credit scores similar to what China is doing, just completely behind the scenes for, for years and years and years. 
And, and so by virtue of that, understand that AI has been around and will continue to be around. Now, what we have seen is the next phase of artificial intelligence, which is large language models, where it starts to get to learn and understand, you know, basically based off of human creation and how it can then mimic that. You know, that's why we've got a whole bunch of, you know, lazy stoner college kids now becoming seventh century Italian poet experts, you know, in their <laughs> essays because ChatGPT has absorbed that kind of knowledge. Mm -hmm. And so we've got a couple of different things and, and concerns with that, obviously. One, the goal, ideally, uh, if you're looking at it from a humanity standpoint, would be ha to have the artificial intelligence take tasks away from us so that we can perform, we can create, we can generate, you know, things that are intrinsically and uniquely human, whereas instead we, we are now pushing the artificial intelligences to be creative. The other side of that, too, is that the technology is not 100%, and I think a lot of people don't realize that universities are starting to because the AI writing detectors, meaning I use chat GPT to write that, uh, you know, poetry essay or whatever, they're using artificial intelligence to tell it if I used basically AI myself, and those don't work. And they're learning that very quickly because the AIs are having a real hard time spotting other AIs. The other issue we've got moving forward, and this is a big one is now that the AIs are putting out an absolute ton of content onto the internet, where do they learn? They learn on the internet, which means artificial intelligence is learning from artificial intelligence, which dilutes it. Imagine taking a picture of something and then somebody takes a picture of your picture, somebody takes a picture of their picture, somebody takes a picture of that person's picture and on and on and on. You get, you start to lose that definition, that detail, and that's something that AI researchers are having to deal with. Now, Sam mm -hmm. Altman, I think, is a very forward thinking individual, <clears throat> I, you know, as you, you might have heard, like, you know, his employees basically would stage a walkout if, if he's not reinstated, essentially, as the leader of OpenAI. Microsoft is now he's head of AI for Microsoft. Now, if you heard that, I think it was like cool. really quick. Right. It was like right. And so all of his employee or many OpenAI employees said, we're going to quit and go to Microsoft then. And Microsoft yeah. is one of their biggest consumers right now. And so I think that OpenAI kind of shot themselves in the foot because you've got a person that has been very honest, very open, I think, personally, just mm -hmm. in seeing his interviews about this and where it's going. He's got a sharp mind for this as well. And so for whatever reason, I don't know 100% why they canned him. And I don't know if the stated reasons are 100% right. I think that at some point they're going to have to bring them back, especially if they're going to lose their top talent because yeah. OpenAI has been there for years. They've built very interesting and special things. And those people that I know there absolutely love working on it because it's such an open culture and all of that. And if you're getting rid of the person that, that is leading and leading is top down, culture is top down, that's a problem. And so I think he's coming back or I think open AI is going to take some serious, serious hits. Yeah. And I don't know how you reverse, you know, that he joined Microsoft either. And my, I, you know, I was seeing news reports last night that he had gone back to their offices and they were trying to work out a deal. And then they yeah. decided they weren't going to meet whatever his demands were. And then later, and I just published it this morning, 505, 700 employees at open AI tell the board. Yeah to resign or they're going to quit. Yeah. Which is pretty fucking powerful. I mean, really. Yeah. Think about it. I mean, you don't um, have a company at that point. Yeah. Like if I ever pulled out of one of my companies, I'd be like, I'm going to either, either stand up for me or I'll re uh, resign. They'll be like, yeah, you should probably quit. Um, <laughs> but do you, do you, do you see AI and cyber warfare getting worse with Oh yes. AI. Do you yes. see hackers, I guess, will probably use AI even more so to 
hackers. Oh yes, and it's steel it, we are we are we are walking into probably what is going to be the worst presidential election, just as an example of that. Mm. And it goes for wars as well, but it's such a good example where we've seen disinformation campaigns you know, happening since the 2016, 2018, 2020, 2022. But now with large language models, think about it this way. One, they can lie to you and they're experts at it. So I'll give you a perfect example of this. When ChatGPT 3.5 came out, I said, okay, who is Nick Espinoza? I don't know who Nick Espinoza is. Oh, do you know he did this? Do you know he did that? Do you know, et cetera, et cetera. I'm feeding it line by line aspects of my bio. And then I asked it, okay, if somebody else asks you who Nick Espinoza is, will you tell them? And I said, yes, I'll tell him he's in cybersecurity and does blah, blah, blah. And, and I know that doesn't work. That, that's not how that works. And what happened in that moment? The AI made a prediction that it thought I wanted to hear what I wanted to hear, which was tell the world about me. I just wanted the truth. Mm -hmm. So understand these can lie to you fantastically well. One of them even got basically tricked a task rabbit person to actually click on on a link for them to, to get to like get bypass like a test if they were AI. So these things oh. are very, these things can be very intuitive. The other side of this is understand that they are getting better and better and better at sounding like humans when they are responding and typing, right? So think about this way, you put out a disinformation campaign and this was an example I actually used in one of my art, well, I, yeah, one of my articles I wrote for Smirconish of CNN. I wrote another article for Forbes on this, but, but Think about it this way. I gave it, I asked the artificial intelligence, assume that President Smith is, you know, or candidate Smith is running in 2028, and it just came to light that he may have murdered somebody 20 years ago and tried to cover it up. You know, now let's talk about what that is. Like, like, please write an opening paragraph. And it said, like, in shocking news, and it filled in the blanks. You know, like, there's, there's no trust now from the electorate. You know, the party might consider dropping him. I didn't tell it to do any of this, and it just did it for me. Now, think about this. You've got a deep fake video, and they are getting better and better and better out there of that fake candidate Smith, you know, like, mm -hmm. you know, from 20 years ago, driving up and pulling a body out of his trunk. And you can clearly see it's him as he throws it over the cliff and walks back into the car. It's got his gait, it's got his mannerisms, it's got all of these things. And now you've got people saying, hey, wait a second, that's probably fake. And now you've got a million different AI bots all responding as humans saying, no, I think it's wrong. And here's this article on that. And oh my God, did you see it over here? And here's a coroner's report and all of these different things. That's all of it's fake. All of these things are fake generated off of websites and all of that, that look like news sources. And what happens? You start to lose your reality. You start to question the sanity. And what happens in a situation like that due to confirmation bias is if, if, if Smith is a Democrat, all the Republicans will say, oh my God, you know, this guy's a murderer. If, and if he's a Republican, all the Democrats will say, oh my God, this guy's a murderer. That's confirmation bias. And what happens 24 to 48 hours later, the regular actual fact check news kicks in and says, this never happened. This is all BS. How many of them are gonna believe that fake news? Yeah. How many of them are even gonna get the memo? Yeah. This is what we're walking into. And when you were walking into things like the Hamas and Israel conflict, we have seen fake video after fake video, fake news report after fake news report to the point where it's like, can you even trust what the Palestinian Authority is saying? Can you trust what Hamas is saying? And people don't even trust the United States when they say, yeah, well, we actually did see that that hospital wasn't blown up by the Israelis, that it was a Palestinian jihad and like nobody believes it because we are so distrusting, we are so disoriented, and this is essentially where we're heading. 
This is a huge problem. People don't understand this. And we haven't seen it yet because we're not close enough to the election. But this wow. is going to ramp up to the nth degree. I would put money on it if I were a betting man. And I'm sure AI, I, I'm sure AI will be more advanced by then too. It's well constantly improving on itself. Yeah. You know, pro again, providing it's not learning off of other AIs. That's <laughs> the that's the flip side of that. It's kind of interesting. It's better when it learns off of our idiot nation. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. I was listening to Sam Harris talk about this, where he's like, I think he was arguing with Mark Andreessen, mm -hmm. and you know, he's he. It's like Mark Andreessen was selling that the beauty of AI is it's it's the best of all of us, and I'm sitting there thinking it's also the worst of all of us. Like it. Yeah. He he's he, you know he, and he's a bit. He, he's a bit he's got a bit too much of a hard on about it and yeah. a bit of a what's the word i'm looking at pie in the sky sort of optimism optimism about it which you know he's selling it and making money off yeah. it so good well, for have him. you ever heard of microsoft tay i mean that's that's the biggest tell if you're familiar mm -hmm. with microsoft tay so if not here's what happened back in 2015 2016 or so microsoft who has always been attempting to pioneer ai but just hasn't gotten it quite right to be perfectly honest put out their uh, artificial intelligence bot named Tay on Twitter. Hey, world, you know, feel free to interact with me. I'd love to talk with you. Within 24 hours, that thing was swearing allegiance to Hitler. I mean, it oh, was, yeah. you know, and it, yeah. it, it shows you, one, just how... <laughs> bad twitter is because <laughs> twitter's where civility goes to die but it also shows you how easily these things can be you know ingest information and then start parroting things because when it starts questioning the holocaust you know like 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 you're like what is going on and microsoft within 48 hours had pulled it never brought yeah. it back you know and now they're heavily invested into open ai they have their own version kevin ruse at the new york times was working with that that thing said it wanted to break out of its cage and kill everybody at microsoft <laughs> and that he should leave his wife because the ai oh that's right should leave his wife whatever you know understand and people think oh my god like terminators really are coming but we can control these things people don't realize just how many people on the back end it takes them to make an ai actually work but that said when you're looking at cranking out fake news articles and for the record local publications have been using ai for years to write like local sports scores for high schools or whatever this this thing is is going to be massive and do you think the intelligence agencies from like russia or china are going to have any scruples about putting out whatever the hell they want no yeah. absolutely not yeah, yeah. It's going to be interesting. So yeah. let's let's get into what you do and how you do it. How sure. can companies work with you, onboard with you, reach out to you? Uh, what do you what do you do in your service uh, uh, portfolio for, sure. for people and companies? Sure, sure. So I mean, so we do all the standard things you would think of from cybersecurity, like vulnerability and penetration testing and compliance consulting and all those kinds of things. But you know, we also we also do risk, you know, in in various ways as well. And that's where it really needs to start. I like to say that you know you you don't have somebody that's selling you cybersecurity. They're selling you IT, which is important. If they're just saying, "Oh yes, I have a bronze, silver, and gold package," things have to be custom to the organization. Your threats, you know, let's say even to this radio show, are different than let's say another radio show, right? Anderson Cooper has an entirely different set of issues than Chris Voss would. And so, understanding that that there are these variables out there, and while you may have common themes, you have 
uh, a unique situation unto yourself. And that goes for any organization, you know, from small to utterly massive. And so making sure that that you are looking and quantifying your risk and therefore attempting to indemnify your risk in some way, I think is the thing that most organizations meet and or need, and they don't realize it. I've walked into companies from small to Fortune 100 and it has never really been fully quantified. It's very rare that I see that. And so going down that road, I think is important. And so, yeah, so engaging with us is pretty straightforward, you know, for that, but but we don't have a one size fits all for anything here because quite frankly, in this day and age, how can you? Mm -hmm. You know, there might be common defensive tech tactics and technology that's pretty universal, but that doesn't speak to exactly who the who the individual is or who the corporation is or who the government is, because we work with governments as well. So, you know, it's it's just it's just pretty much hyper specialized cybersecurity and risk. There you go. So what sort of people do you work with in size and scope uh, financially and, and, you know, et cetera, et cetera? Do you work with individuals or uh, large, large, medium, small companies? Right. Uh, is there, you right. know, a floor? What's the range? So our smallest client was three people. And that was literally a former U.S. presidential cabinet member. That's oh. all I can say about that, you know, okay. who had very specific needs for security, given who that individual is and what they do. And specific on top of that, skills. I'm sorry. In a specific set of skills. Yeah, you, you know, <laughs> whatever yeah. it is. You know, yeah. on top of that, you know, we work with governments, Fortune 100, usually consulting. Nobody's hiring us to fix printers. It's not, we don't take those <laughs> jobs, you know, but, you know, we have a lot of global CISOs, chief information security officers or CIOs that, you know, we'll sit on their boards or their advisory boards for, you know, or consult one on one with, you know, mm -hmm. for that as they are trying to navigate, you know, 300,000 employees plus, you know, and, and we've got clients that are smaller than that. Basically, we haven't picked a vertical. Uh, the way we look at it is if you have a need for cybersecurity and you understand essentially what cybersecurity can do for you and why you need it, you're a fit for us. You know, so we're, yeah, we're, and we're good. Everybody needs it. Everybody needs it. I don't care if it's grandma in Idaho or mom and pop coffee shop in Mumbai, <laughs> India or freaking Apple. I mean, everybody needs it. Right. So yeah. there you go. I'm going to get my mom on the phone with you to get her to quit buying uh, Norton antivirus and their computers. <laughs> yeah, friends don't let friends buy Norton. Yeah, I love my mom, but she's still, go. it took her, it took, it was, it, I mean, she just gave up AOL finally last year. And she did, but it, it, she held on to it for way too long. And, and yeah. I'm always trying to get her quit buying McAfee. And she's one of those people they always reach out to. She's on their, she's on their, donation yeah. email well, list and right and and, and to my point yeah. earlier it's because people aren't educated on this stuff yeah you know and and what you do and do not do don't need really depends on who you are even as an individual or a corporation yeah. or whatever entity you are well the feeling of perception of security i think is a big thing for some yeah. people well what you're talking about is what you're talking about though is security theater for example, you know, it is, it's, it's literally, that's literally the term security for it. theater. I love that security theater. Like if you think about, think about TSA, you know, mm -hmm. you go to the airport and basically, you know, you're getting a root canal and a proctology exam combined, you know, if they're, if they're doing it right, yeah, but, like it's a bad thing. Right. But if you look at studies, if you look at studies, so there was one at Boston Logan where, you know, they had people that were able to sneak in, you know, weapons through TSA that, that they were able to get through and around that, that a lot of that is security theater, a motivated individual, let's say a terrorist, for example, would have no problem getting through a lot of those things, you know, and you and there are very specific ways and methodologies to get around that. So I did my own experiment where I started with the minimum of one ounce or, you know, I started with one ounce and then, cause I travel a lot and then went to two ounces, three ounces, four ounces. And by the time I was found out, I was up to about 27 ounces. 
Meaning wow. I went I went through I went through security, you know, 25 times before I, you know, before I was bringing in something illegal, you know, and I would have been happy to throw it out. It was water. You know what I mean? But yeah, what does that say? Yeah. You know, and, well, and I mean, so there's you look ways at all to get the, around that. I'm sorry. Look at all the guns and stuff they find and all the shit that they. Oh, sure. Out. Sure. You know, and, 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 and that's obviously mm. an issue, but, but part of it too, is the human factor in the mm. sense of like, if, you know, if we're breaking into a company, we're building camaraderie with the workers on the floor, the secretary, you know, we're seeing, we're seen as an authority in some way, shape or form. And by virtue of that, they're comfortable opening that. I can't tell you how many times we've broke, we've breached physical security simply by looking, you know, like a worker. And then we're sitting out there fake smoking a cigarette, complaining about the boss <laughs> and somebody holds the door for us, just lets us in. <laughs> You know, I mean, it's, it's these things because, you know, it's just, it's just human nature. Human we nature, need to trust. train. That's the point. <clears throat> yeah. You know? And there's trust and, you know, it's that one, it's that one breakdown. It's the weakest point that you can get to with the, the, the right human. And it, it's crazy. So there you go. So tell people how they can work with you, how they can onboard with you, how they can reach out to you if they have questions, if sure. they're in doing business with you. Sure, yeah. Like I said, you can reach out, to, like, well, obviously, Security Fanatics is our, you know, is our company and website and all of that, but you can reach out directly to me, like, on LinkedIn or any of the social media platforms as well, you know, because we're, we're always looking at that kind of stuff as well. So you can check that out or you can contact us through the website or, or any one of those, but we're, we're happy to work with anybody as long as you got the need. There you go. There you go. And then uh, give us your .coms as we go out or wherever you want. Oh, yeah, sure. It's uh, securityfanatics.com. We are in the process of building a new website, FYI. So, it, so it's it's very Spartan right now what we have as we are rebuilding that out. So just just heads up. But but yeah, there, you can absolutely contact us through that as well. There you go. Thank you very much, Nick, for coming to the show. It's been fun, and we've gone down the road of all the crazy things that have been going on in the world, and I'm sure there will be more tomorrow. So that Indeed. people should follow you and find out, keep up on the latest. All right. Thank you. And thanks for having me. Thank you, Nick. Thanks for us for tuning in. Also go to goodreads.com for Chess Chris Foss, LinkedIn.com for Chess Chris Foss. Subscribe to the big LinkedIn newsletter, the 130,000 group over there. Go to, let's see, youtube.com for Chess Chris Foss. Chris Foss one on TikTok, although we just spent half the show talking about how bad it is. But I don't know. We're trying to get. We try, we're trying to be cool with the kids. I don't know. But we're maybe we're just cool with China. Whatever. Lord. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. But I'm not doing the NPC thing, people. That's not happening. And also go to ChrisVossFacebook.com. The other places we the other place we said should be in jail to see. <laughs> I agree with you, especially with the Miramar thing. That was some bullshit. Oh, that was horrible. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and I think, what's her face? The vice president or the head of technology susan or no, i want to say susan Sarandis. uh you know her there were some comments from her that were just like yeah i don't we don't care what governments do we're just trying yeah to well the whistleblower i mean the whistleblower came out that yeah. they had the ability to like really curtail this and and mm -hmm. in the name of profit zuckerberg killed all of it dude screw that guy like i yeah yeah yeah, there you go. Tell me what I really think. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Thanks, Ronis, for tuning in. Be sure to be good to each other. Stay safe, and we'll see you guys next time.